Turn with me, if you will, to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Taught this morning uh, is part of a kind of a theme I felt like the Lord gave me that all the disciplines, there's five disciplines, and all of them we can we can go on them for a certain period of time, then we tend to lose them. We've got to find our way back and get back to the vine and trust the Lord with it. First one we taught about was the discipline of fasting. There's no commandment that tells us we have to fast. It's a discipline that we can desire, we can choose to do it. But there's benefits in it. And uh, Jesus was a faster, uh, amazing faster. And because we want to be like him, we want to do what he did to become what he became. And we're, we're his disciples, and so we want to do that. And just revisited the whole subject of fasting a couple weeks ago. And you can listen in on to, uh, on our podcast to find that. And then last Sunday we taught for a couple messages on uh, rediscovering the need to pray, get back to basics, uh, praying on, on a personal level, on a daily basis, that we'd uh, do what Jesus had taught us to do. His disciples asked him, teach us to pray. So he did, and he taught us some amazing things. And uh, they're simple and powerful and profound, but they require discipline. There's no commandment that says you, you must pray uh, an hour a day. There's no commandments at all for that. And so it has to come out of uh, discipline. The word disciple and dis- discipline go hand in glove. You can't have one without the other. And although we do lose discipline, and that happens to me, and uh, the only thing I, I need to do is recognize it, uh, don't like the taste of being uh, uh, out, of, out of shape spiritually or physically. And so I, we have to get back to it, have to find our way back. Uh, this morning I taught on meditation, which is a, a discipline of study, how to study the Bible. Uh, we should all be opening our Bibles morning by morning and letting the Lord speak to us. And so uh, just to get back in the discipline of um, opening, opening the Scripture and expecting God to speak to us. So I'd like you to listen in uh, that message this week sometime, too, on the podcast and catch up with that. Uh, This evening is is an extension of that, but I'm going in a different direction. Uh, Study and meditation. Jesus didn't say very much about study. He didn't use that word as much, but he talked about hearing, how we hear. And hearing is, we could say today, how we read. We tend to read. We all have Bibles in our hands and... uh, at the time when Jesus was saying that, nobody had Bibles in their hands. You had to go to a synagogue to hear the word of God. And so it was based on hearing. And um, uh, he said some powerful things. That The more you give study and time and thought and attention to what you're hearing, the more life, more virtue will come back to you. And it's a principle that Jesus uh, believed and demonstrated. He was not a very religious person. You don't see Jesus as being a a religious person, person, but he was disciplined. And one of the things he was disciplined in is a meditation. And all all the parables that he taught were pictures that came out of, it's a... Um, a byproduct of meditation. So he would lay out these pictures that would stick as a burr in people's brains. They couldn't shake the picture. They couldn't get rid of it because it was such a powerful picture. And the only way to do that is you have to see a truth or hear a truth, meditate on it, think on it from every angle, produce a little movie about it, 
in the, with the eyes of your heart, you produce that movie. And then when you say that movie, it stays with people. And Jesus knew that that's the most effective way to teach. But it came out of meditation. Let me give you an example of it right here. In Mark chapter 12. Go with me to verse 41. It talks about Jesus sitting opposite the treasury. And he noticed how people put their money in the treasury. So um, the treasury at that time would be about uh, probably, probably as big as this room here. It was a wall, and it had a slot in it. I've seen them. I've been to Turkey and some of the early churches. You think our, our offering box at the back is something. You should see the offering box at St. John's Church at Ephesus, where John the Apostle was. It was it's, a, it's as big as a room, and it has a big slot in it. I see them in India as well, and the people come up and pour their rice in it, and that's the offering. It goes into a, a sealed room. Well, these were, the treasury for the temple were huge, uh, almost like buildings within the buildings with a slot, and people would come up. So Jesus, if you could just picture him eating a tangerine and leaning up against the wall, and he's watching people as they come up to put their offerings in. He's watching. And he notices something. And he catches something as he's meditating on that. He's He's... He's getting truth. And as soon as he sees it, he calls the disciples together. He does the same thing today. He calls the disciples together and downloads to them a revelation that if you said anywhere in the world today, almost anywhere in the world, what's a widow's mite? And they'll tell you this story. They all know, everyone knows a widow's mite. Oh, Jesus taught about that. But it came out of a meditation. It came out of an observation that as you go through life, you stop and you think about what you're seeing. You meditate on it and say, what's the truth in this? What's the principle? What, what would God say to me about this? And so he saw the rich men, if you can imagine the rich men coming down and they got an apron full of, full of coins and they, they hoist it up to the chute and they put it in and clink, 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 all the sound of the money pouring in there. They're looking around, they're embarrassed at the sound and next guy, he comes in and he's got kind of a wheelbarrow. He's got so much money and he gets it up and he has to put all the money in. Jesus is just standing there eating a tangerine. I'm making that up. That's my movie. I'm allowed to do that. It's my movie. You get your own movie. <laughs> he could be eating pizza in your movie. It doesn't matter to me, but not while we're fasting, though. So if you can imagine all these rich people coming in with, you know, maybe security men, and they give them the nod, and they pour into the slot, clunk, 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 all the sound of the change, uh, coins clanging. And then one woman came, and she reached into her tunic and into a little pocket and pulled out a mite, the smallest possible coin. And she doesn't look both ways. She looks up to heaven, and she offers it to the Lord. And it so moved Jesus. He gathered his disciples together and says, here's what I saw. And, he, and then he teaches a revelation and a principle that applies to us today. It's for all people, everywhere, for all time. But it came out of meditation. It came out of observation. You see stuff all the time that will preach. That it'll preach to you first. It'll speak to you first. You just have to stop and 
think about it and, and, and ask the Lord, Lord, what am I seeing? How does this, how does this work? It could be anything. This, this sounds really crass, but Peter saw a dog throw up one day. And he said, that'll preach. Have you ever seen a dog throw up? When I was a kid, we went to my grandmother's house, and we're all playing hide-and-seek, and we heard this dog heaving, and he's eating grass. We'd never seen a dog eating grass. And his back begins to arch, and he vomited the most amazing, awful thing. And we're all just shocked. We'd never seen anything like it. And then the shock on top of that is he began to eat what he threw up. And we were just, we, we just, we wanted to play hide and seek forever after that. I mean, it, and it's a picture you can't ever shake. I can remember, I can just remember the awful sensation that came with it. Peter saw something like that. He said, that's like a Christian who gets saved from the world and then goes back and eats, eats the very thing that made him sick in the first place. That's like a Christian who goes back and consumes what they used to do in sin. Peter preached it in a way that you can't, you can't forget it. The Holy Spirit said, that'll preach. Put that in the Bible. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Look at, look at what the wisest man in the world said. Go with me to Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24. Wisest man up until Jesus came. And um, Begins in verse 30. Now this is, this is relevant to preaching. It's just as relevant to prophesying. If you're going to prophesy, you're going to prophesy in pictures. If you're going to prophesy, it's going to come out you seeing the scripture or seeing a picture and being able to know how to relate that to somebody else as you prophesy. And I want you all to preach. I want you all to prophesy. So this is, this is a major key. This will make you a far more effective preacher and prophet than the average person who prophesies. He said, I went by the field of the lazy man, by the vineyard of the man Devoid of understanding. We can picture that. We live here in Yates County. There's, there's a vineyard almost on every country corner. And there it was. All overgrown with thorns. And its surface was covered with nettles. And its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction or revelation. Then, then he, he takes that picture and he, he forms a tweet. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. That's a powerful thing. He come up with a, a proverb. He come up with a, conclu a spiritual conclusion just as he's walking down the road. He's just walking. He's just walking in life, and he stopped. Now, there's lots of things that you see. We see stuff all the time. What he did that's different is he stopped, and he, he considered it well. He, he gave thought to it. That's called meditation. You meditate all the time. 
You meditate every waking moment you're meditating. You meditate all the time. There's no way to stop it. You're meditating every waking moment you're meditating. To intentionally choose to meditate on positive things and choose to draw out revelation from something, that takes discipline. Thinking all the time takes no discipline. You can't stop doing that. In fact, I'll tell you this. When you go through periods of, of worry or anxiety, fear, and depression, that is proof that you're meditating. That's the, pro that's the byproduct of meditation. You cannot meditate. I mean, you can't have a fear or a worry and anxiety without meditation. It's impossible. The very eyes of your heart that's looking down the road and becoming anxious about what if and what was, what's coming and makes you worry, or the very thing when you're looking back at all your faults and your failures and your struggles and you can't stop thinking about that, what someone did to you and what, what you felt and how hurt you were, the longer you do that, the more depression you'll experience. Depression comes from casting, taking bad things from the from the past and imposing that on the future and saying that will happen again. That's depressing. But the way you're doing that is you're actually rolling it around in your heart. You're picturing it from every angle. You're focused on it with the eyes of your heart and, it ha and your feelings follow. And so those things are proof, biblical proofs, that you're meditating. All you have to do is say, no, 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 no. Hey, I know, I know where you want to take me. I've been there before. I've been depressed. I'm not going that way anymore. Come on. And you pull your eyes and you put your eyes on something else. David did that. He said, what time I'm afraid, I will trust in you. So he felt that fear going. He's, nah, come on, fear. We're going to trust in God and we put our eyes on him. It's called discipline. It's intentionally meditating. And the more you do that, the more you have something to give away, both in your messages and prophetically. We meditate all the time. It's just a matter of choosing what we'll meditate on. So in terms of, in terms of preaching, go with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Again, Solomon. This is uh, Solomon. Calls himself the preacher. Was a wise man. Taught the people well. And he pondered, that's meditation, and collected. And we talked about that this morning. Uh, all those books on the wall. And I've got twice or three times as many books, partly written, mostly written, 75, 80, 90% written, three times as many of that, that come out of a discipline period that I went through where I was able to really meditate and revelation just started to unfold. And what I did is I, I didn't just ponder it. I wrote it out. I kept track of it. I, I wrote binder after binder after binder of whatever God was giving me. And that's the, that's the byproduct of that. Solomon, he says, I, I, I pondered and collected Proverbs. That's what Bill Johnson does. Bill Johnson is always coming up with succinct, clear, crystal clear concepts. Comes out of meditation. So I collected many Proverbs and then classified them. And that's the discipline that most people don't do. God's speaking to you all the time, but you're not taking it to the next level of 
classifying it, filing it away, writing it out, keeping track of it, uh, treating it as if it was a precious concept. The more you do that, the more revelation he'll give you. That's how it comes. That's, that's my story. That's, I, I, I'm known for an abundance of revelation. Well, it's not because I'm smart. I described that this morning. It's because, it's because God spoke to me about something, about meditating and, and, and being careful to do this. And I got that discipline, and I ran on the strength of that for many years, and I lost it and found it again and lost it and found it again. But it's exactly what he's saying here. I classified it. I, I pondered it. I considered it. I wrote it out, kept track of it as if it was a, a, a valuable thing. Because of that, God saw it, and he just keeps giving you more and more and more. So Solomon, the preacher, he did that. The preacher was not only a wise man, but a good teacher. This is from the New uh, Living Bible. That's why Ryan can't find it. Can you find it, son? You're not able to find it, are you? I should have told you that in the beginning. The preacher was not only a wise man, but a good teacher. He not only taught what he knew to the people, but taught them in an interesting manner. A wise, man, wise man's words are like goads that spur to action. They nail down important truths. Students are wise who master what the teachers tell them. So I was in, um, in Costa Rica and I saw a man with oxen and he had a long stick with a, uh, a metal pro, uh, tip on the end of the stick that was sharpened and I got looking at it. In fact, I got pictures of it. And, and what it was, it's a goad to make the oxen go. And he gets behind, because it wouldn't go otherwise. Or sometimes you see them with a stick and they're just constantly tapping the back of the animal's back. That's what keeps them moving. They won't move otherwise. But he had the goad. And I let him, he let me hold the goad. There's good goads and there's bad goads. Goads make you, they motivate you. Condemnation, and we've all had that goad in our back, where people poke us with condemnation. Fear is a goad. Um, there's there's a negative goads, and then there's positive goads. If you want to move people or motivate people with preaching or motivate them prophetically, you have to find good goads. Good goads that are filled with faith, uh, promises, our goads. I wouldn't have gone through that discipline. I'm not that disciplined. I'm not a very disciplined person, naturally. I don't think any of us are. Discipline is, discipline is remembering what you want. It comes out of desire. And when I prophetically got a picture through this prophet of what I could become, it so motivated me that I fell into the discipline for years that he told me that I was going to, and it became a goad to success. And so that's what God wants to do. He wants to motivate you. Even here tonight, I'm, I'm saying, Lord, motivate me, move me, uh, speak to me, challenge me, move me. Not with condemnation, not with damnation, but I want to be moved by the Lord in a positive way, with encouragement. He's the God of never ending encouragement. And I need him to goad me sometimes. I wouldn't go anywhere if it wasn't for his goads. In preaching, the preacher says we have to goad people. We have to motivate people. We have to get people to move from where they are at to another level. The only way to move them is with a goad. 
Now, the, the preacher, he was meditating, and he'd come up with a goad that would work. And in my life, the Lord's got a, a dozen goads. What works one time doesn't motivate me another time. I need goads from different angles. So when you preach, and I want you to preach, I want you to do your five-minute sermons, your 10-minute sermons, I want you to think, what's the goad? <laughs> what am I going to move people to? And what's the goad to move them there? What promise do I have? What, what prophetic angle do I have? What picture would help them say, oh, I see it, and we can move toward it? You have to fill it with a goad. If you dig back through all the sermons that, ever, that you ever loved, they were filled with goads, or at least one major goad that moved you from where you were to where you needed to be. God uses goads. Solomon, the preacher, he says, find the goad. I, I'm looking for things that motivate people. So you have to stop. What I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll get an idea of what I want to preach. I'll write that out, and then I'll write out everything I know about that subject, and I'll write it out in point form, and then I'll try to order, organize that with numbers of saying, oh, I think I'll do that one first, and this one second. And the whole idea is to move people somewhere spiritually. What's my point? Points are goads. What's my point? What am I really trying to say? What am I trying to accomplish by this? And so I have to sort all of that out in my heart. It can't be to impress people. It can't be to get people to like me as a speaker. It's got to be to move them spiritually somehow. And this preacher <laughs> was wise. He was a wonderful preacher. The people loved to hear him. And the reason was is he took time beforehand to think through what he was going to say and how he was going to nail it down. We need that. We need that today. I need that from you. While we're in Proverbs, let's go back a page to Proverbs 23, 23. Proverbs 23 to 20, verse 23. It's a little verse that says, buy the truth and sell it not. And wisdom and instruction and understanding. Buy the truth and sell it not. How do you buy a truth? How do you buy truth? And he says, then don't sell it. It's yours. Keep it. How do you buy a truth? Anytime you experience anything, you've bought a truth. If you'll, even if it's a negative, even if someone offends you, someone says something, uh, uh, it happens to me all the time. And I just, as I think about it, you know, because it kind of bugs you that they did this. So... I've just learned to harvest them where I'll say, okay, now what, that happened to me. That was embarrassing. That happened to me. How can I use that? How can I turn that around? And if you listen to my funny little quirky little stories and illustrations, most of them are things that have happened to me. And so I just take them and, 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 and use them uh, as a truth. Find the truth in it. It's mine now. It happened to me. It's not yours. It's mine. It's my experience. It happened to me. Now once it happened to me and I teach from it, it becomes a powerful tool. And I, start, I realize I taught from that truth. I taught from that hurt. I taught from that experience. And I can teach that in any language, in any country I go to. And it, it powerfully impacts people. But it usually comes out of something of my own experience, something that happened to me when I was a boy, something that happened to me. I can tell you story after story of, of things that have happened to me 
that weren't necessarily comfortable at the time, but I've purchased it. I found a truth in it that will preach. Now, here's the thing. When you're looking for something to preach, pray, or prophesy, you can, you can go through books and you can skim through books to find something that someone else wrote that looks clever or interesting or would really wow the people, except you haven't bought that truth. It's not yours. It may, you may be reading something and say, oh, hey, that's, that's, that's a great, great picture, a great story. And you can get up and you can teach it and it just goes flat. It has no authority attached to it. It's not your truth. Now, if you take that truth, say it really did speak to you. Oh, oh, that's subtle. That says where I'm at. That, that ministers to me. What you do is you let that percolate. You let it settle in your heart. And you think about it every day. You, you write it out. You keep track of it. You catalog it. And you let that work a work in you. Let that change something in you. Let that heal you. Let that provoke you whatever it does let it sit there don't speak it out don't preach it let it percolate after a while that truth becomes your truth because it's now part of you can see fruit coming out of it you can see freedom coming out of it then you can get up and you always give credit to where credit is due you can say i was reading this book and this is what something that got and god spoke to me out of that and now three months later you can actually teach that, and it'll minister to people because it's coming out of you. You've, you've owned it now. We just tell people not to, we tell our team, uh, not to preach something that they went and they heard a conference or they read a book and they get up that next Sunday and they, we're always foraging for the pulpit. We're always looking for something to feed the people with. Well, you can read out of a book, say, hey, there's a great, what a great concept. I'm going to get up and I'm going to teach that. And it's not yours. It has no authority attached to it. It won't have really any lasting impact. It may look, may make you feel good for the moment, but it won't produce anything because you have to buy the truth. So you share that and you don't give credit to who, who gave it to you. Because you don't want people to think that you don't know that, that, that somehow somehow it came out of your life. And it just goes flat. There's no way the Lord's going to honor it. He's not going to stitch it to people's hearts. There's no authority. Our authority comes from our experience mixed with truth. When a bad thing's happened to people, I just, I'm trying to say to them anymore, I'm trying to, you just, you just got more authority. <laughs> Everyone wants more authority. How do you get authority except by experience? If something bad happened to you in your childhood, uh, someone did something to you that really hurt you, if you find truth that applies to that, you can preach along that line that no one else can preach down. And it is powerful because you've had an experience. It's been robbed of its power to hurt you anymore. You've been mixed in it with truth. And now you can get up as a, as a person with authority and say, this happened to me. That changes your message. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not theory anymore. It happened to me. Here's how God set me free. Everyone leans into that. That preaches with powerful authority. And it's authority that you want. Jesus preached as one having authority. It blew, it blew their minds. They said, 
It's not like any other rabbi we've ever heard. Every other rabbi, every other rabbi preached like this. Here's what the word of God says, and then they back up and say, but it could mean this, it could mean this, it could mean that, and it might even mean it. And then they back away from it. I've heard many Mennonite pastors preach that way. There's no authority. They back away from a truth by washing, watering it down, qualifying it, taking away its, its conviction. I've seen it preached that way so many times. Jesus just laid it out there, and people said, whoa, that is heavy. That's amazing. That's why the, that's why the, the rabbis would backpedal after they said a truth. They'd, they'd water it down and make it, make it comfortable for people until it didn't say anything. Jesus just said it. Jesus taught about divorce, remarriage five times. His first message, I mean, that's not a socially acceptable message to bring. But he laid it out there. He laid it out there. And it's very hard for us to do that today. But it was powerful. It was powerful. It wasn't set to embarrass anyone or hurt anyone. It was set to set people free. You have to buy the truth. It has to be yours. What's happened to you? What's happened to you? What has the enemy lobbed at you? That you can say, huh, he'll wish he never touched me. I'm going to preach this in a way that set people free. I'm going to preach it like nobody else. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to lay it out there. I'm going to say, this is what happened. And here's what God has done. Here's what God has said. That's powerful, powerful stuff. Jesus, most of his preaching was sociably unacceptable, but it had authority attached to it. It was powerful. It was liberating. It was real. Stuff he couldn't forget. He preached with, not as the scribes, but as one having authority. What authority do you have to preach? What's your experience? That's what you can preach from. You can preach from some other sermon you heard on the radio, or some other sermon. And sometimes that's good illustration. Sometimes that's good support if you give credit to where credit is due. But I would just recommend that you let that permeate. Let that percolate. Let that settle in your heart. Let that become part of you. Then when you preach it, it'll have power. Amen? Amen. There's lots of gifts in the Bible, but there isn't one gift that's called parrot or parakeet. You want authority. You want authority. When you preach, when you pray, or when you prophesy, authority is what changes things. One time, Charles Spurgeon, he's, he's like the youngest preacher in the world. He's the pastor of the largest church in the world. Nobody in history had a church as big as Charles Spurgeon. And he's like 22 years old, 23 years old, just a young guy. He's got the largest church in the world. They can't build them fast enough. He, they build one, and they end up having to build another one because they just can't get... One built big enough to accommodate the crowd Sunday by Sunday to want to hear this young, uh, young man get up there and preach. But he had something in God. He had a special grace. But one time they were building a big building. There were men working up in the big timbers up in the rafters. And they had him come to, uh, midweek to see the meeting, or the meeting house, to see the construction, the progress. And he wanted to test out the acoustics. So he stood on the edge of the stage, and it's all rough timber. And he said, behold the lamb that taketh away the sins of the world. 
And when he said that, men climbed out of the rafters and came to the front and gave their hearts to Jesus. That's authority. That's what you want. You want something that when you say it, it impacts people, it changes people, it sticks with people. They can't shake it. They can't deny it. They want to act on it. Amen? Let's go to Romans chapter 12. Paul the preacher. Romans chapter 12. He's teaching about grace, and, and there is a grace. It's funny thing about grace. If you don't have the discipline, you don't come in the grace, yet grace is, is free, it's unearned. But the way to get more grace is have more discipline. It's, it's a funny combination of those things. It just doesn't come in your bedroom while you're playing video games and overwhelm you, and, and then you become another person. That's not what Paul's experience was. Listen to this. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. There's all different kinds of grace. I read a translation, I think it was the Phillips translation, which I don't think you have back there. J.B. Phillips uh, took the word prophetic here and he, and he put it in the preaching. He called it preaching. And, and the whole idea is this, is whatever you feel God's put inside you, you have to give yourself to it. You have to excel at it. If it's preaching, give yourself to preaching. In other words, you, all you're thinking about is, what, what can I preach? What, what, how can I take what? I just had a fender bender. How can I incorporate that? In? What, how can that be used by God? Everything that happens to you. After a while, something happens where you don't care what happens as long as you can preach out of it or prophesy out of it. Most effective prophets I know are the ones who have life experience and they can relate to almost anybody they lay hands on and they can get pictures from God and it's pictures, it's pictures that are theirs. It's part of who they are. And when they say it, the person believes it because it's coming out of their pipe. James said something really interesting. He says, you can't get sweet water and salt water out of the same pipe. If you're meditating on negative things all the time, you should put yourself on the shelf. You shouldn't be prophesying because what you're going to prophesy is uh, you need to shape up or ship out. You need, to, <laughs> you need to get your act together. You're not doing, you know, you end up, it's negative. It's negative. It was not, it's a bad goad. But it's coming out of your thinking. It's coming out of your own meditation. It's salt water. He said it's the sweet water you want. The sweet water, so you're meditating. You're singing to the Lord. You're, you're drawn love from him. You're you're, you're drawing uh, encouragement from him. Everything that happens to you, you hear God in it, you see God in it. Next thing you know, when you lay hands on someone, all of that has to come out. It's out of the abundance of our hearts that our mouth speaks, whether it's preaching, praying, or prophesying. It's out of the abundance of your own heart. 
You say, well, I want, 90, I want 100% Holy Spirit speaking to me. It doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen that way for a sermon. It doesn't happen that way when we pray. It doesn't happen that way when we prophesy. It comes out of your meditation. Your meditation of him has to be sweet. Then when you start ministering to people, it's just as if Jesus was speaking. That's what you want. That's exactly what you want. You have to give yourself to it. If your gift is giving, if your gift is mercy, if your gift is leadership or administration, you have to give yourself to it. You have to collect things and collect people and collect concepts that help you to be really effective in those areas that you have grace for. So I think it's this. I think God gives you the original, the initial grace, and then he expects you to cultivate it. So it's not all of God and none of you. It's not all of you and none of God. It's a perfect combination of God giving the grace, but then you saying, I've got grace, now I need to be a steward of it. I need to be a steward. That Peter wrote about that. He said, we're stewards of the manifold grace of God. The word manifold there is many hued or many, many different colors. We're stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whatever color you've been given, whatever color that you have a certain flavor in this particular area, give yourself to it. That's true in carpentry. It's true in mechanics. It's true in taxidermy. It's true in everything. You have to give yourself to it. If you're going to be a good pastry chef, you have to give yourself to it. Coffee, you have to give yourself to it. If you're going to excel at it. It's just as true with the prophetic. And it's just as true with preaching. You have to give yourself to it. Amen? Let's stand together.